Hello and welcome to Hey I Like, the show where we talk about all the things that make our neurodivergent brains go bonkers. I am your host <laughs> for today, JJ. Uh, I use any pronouns. And uh, in a weird role reversal, here is my guest, Jess. Hi. Um, yeah, you should you should know me by now. We've had I don't even know how many episodes of me hosting and or talking for several hours. So at least three. Three is very <laughs> much a global number, but at least yes. three. There's yes. been more than that released already. There has indeed. I am Jess. Um, I am normally the host. Today I am not because we are recording special episodes for Pride Month. So today I will be talking about ace history uh, and JJ is joining me as our resident arrow person. So yep. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we we have to have at least one ace and at least one arrow person here. And um, considering that I am not ace, uh, I am always hyped to hear more about like what the ace people in like my community, being like the broader ace spec community, and like obviously the histories of like ace and arrow people are very very heavily entwined because yeah. you know a lot of ace people are arrow uh, and also. For the longest time, there wasn't really a separation between the two. In no. fact, I remember when the first Aero Pride flag came out, there was just a color inverted version of the Ace Pride flag, um, and that was it. It was that was literally the entire Aero flag. Like the the communities are so heavily intertwined that like you 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 cannot really have one without the other. So like yeah. a lot of Ace history is also a lot of Aero history, even if we didn't quite have like the words to separate them out just yet yes it's like how um ace history and bi history have a lot of overlap mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. because for the longest time we were considered basically the same thing i mean if you're equally attracted to men and women <laughs> exactly like you know and that amount is zero then of course you're going to think, well, I'm probably bi because I'm about as into men as I am into women, and that is not a lot. So you are describing me, age sixteen. <laughs> I am also describing one of my partners here. But, but yes, I don't think I feel like this might just be a neurodivergent autistic type thing. But I was like, I'm normal. Everyone else are the weird ones. <laughs> yeah, being obsessed fair. with the boys. Um. So like, yeah, I'd go to parties with my friends and they do that whole, the truth or dare thing. Which boys do you like? And I'd just be like, none of them, they're all idiots. And they oh, didn't believe God me and I got mocked for it quite a lot. So. Why would I have a crush on anyone? That just seems to make you act so dumb. Yeah. I don't want to have a crush on anyone. You all act stupid when you have crushes on people. Exactly. Why would I care that much? But yeah, none of them believed me and they thought it was hilarious that I wouldn't tell them. And it's like, no, genuinely, don't. <laughs> um, I just, just I think, like take a person to have a crush on and be like, I don't know, that guy. Yeah, because I think that was probably the the moment in time where I realised that like I was not the same as everyone else. Yeah, I get that. Until that point, it was kind of like... They're doing some weird things and I don't really understand why they're doing it that way, but like, sure, whatever, maybe one day. And then that sort of thing started happening and it was like, wait, no, they're being serious and not joking. Holy shit, you mean sexual attraction isn't a lie made up by the media? 
exactly. I still don't understand those adverts. <laughs> those adverts are massively overblown and don't make sense even to me as someone who does experience sexual attraction. So like, yeah, they are so dumb. All right. But yeah, so I finished sixth form knowing that I was ace. And I think I probably, I came out to my friends just before we left for uni. But yeah, so I, I went to uni already knowing and had some very interesting experiences with people absolutely not understanding what the hell I was on about. Um, I got called homophobic in a queer theory seminar for saying what? that I didn't like a gay sex scene in a movie. That's wild. And I, I you know, prefaced that whole thing with the caveat that I was very ace and didn't like sex scenes in general. It had nothing to do with the fact that it was a gay sex scene. It was just the fact that it was a sex scene at all. It made me uncomfortable. And they were just like, that's homophobic. No, it's not. <laughs> mm -hmm. But when I was doing my master's, um, I did a queer literature module where the, the whole sort of premise was about different types of sexuality and gender expression from around the world and how they were written about and all of that kind of thing. And um, I had missed a seminar, so I went to my teacher's office hours and just offhand toward the, towards the end of that slot kind of made an offhand reference to the fact that it was Ace Week that week mm -hmm. and there was nothing about asexuality in the queer literature course. <laughs> oh, yeah. And she was just like, oh, I didn't know about that. Tell me about it. And so I, we were sort of chatting and I apparently had a lot of opinions that she was very interested in. <laughs> um, and we came to the conclusion that if I could find her books and sources and stuff, or I could give her some ideas and she would go and look for them further. Um, yeah. She would include it in the course the next year um, oh, to yeah. line up with Ace Week because it was something that she hadn't heard of before. But now that she had, she was like, I'm going to try. <laughs> you <laughs> um but she also said you should write an essay about that <laughs> and that is how we've got here because i knew things about like the general ace history stuff like a lot of stuff the more modern ace history you people talk about it a lot online the stuff about like the creation of avon and um you know ace rap in the media and how that's changed over time and stuff like that that's all been talked about online before but there wasn't anything really like old yeah. i guess um so i knew like the more modern stuff but um uh, but yeah my my thesis was basically that um asexuality has been explicitly like ignored by people who are writing about queer theory because all of queer theory makes the assumption that you are gay with a side portion of gender theory. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, we need to start including asexuality in this stuff because we are also queer. We're here. We're not getting you're not getting rid of us anytime soon. So why not Isn't talk about us too? Also a thing that among a lot of ace people, a lot of ace people also have a meh relationship to gender where they just like Yeah don't particularly feel like attached to their gender it's just kind of there and they were like if it was a different gender I would still feel the same way I just don't care so for the yeah. sake of this I'm cis like sort of deal um, well you know that's uh, that's kind of why I am using the she they pronouns because yeah. it's like yeah I was raised and socialized as a woman but I really could not care less gender is fake so yeah I, <laughs> so I've why, known, like, why bother several with that? ace people whose relationship with gender is 
I mean, I allegedly have one, but I don't care enough yeah. to like, it doesn't matter to me enough to want to call it something else or identify it as agent or, or literally anything else because it is just there and it exists and I don't give a shit. Yeah, um, literally. I, it's a very common attitude I found with a lot of ace people. Yeah, it is. And it's really interesting to look into because there are there are articles about this that I didn't necessarily like read in depth because I'm not a social sciences student. Yeah. Um, but there's this massive overlap between ace people, um, people with very complicated relationships with gender, as in like exactly what you're describing, where they have they have gender but they don't care about it. Yeah. Um, and autistic people, because it's all about those social rules. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's this massive overlap between the three where if someone is one, you can almost guarantee that they've got one of the other two. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's really not cool, yeah. the, that wasn't the point of the. Yeah. But yeah, so as part of this, this thesis, I was basically trying to prove that. Um, not only, you know, should we be talked about, but also that we've been here the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> and that is how the history thing got started. Um, but it's mostly another case of very similar to the Gawongo Mohawk thing, actually, in that I found a trail of breadcrumbs and tried my hardest to find the end of it, and it was very difficult. <laughs> um, so I guess we can sort of start with that i guess like i could just read my thesis but i'm not going to subject you to all of that and and it has memes in it so <laughs> i'm not going to attempt to describe memes for a podcast mm -hmm. like if people want it they can pay me money or be an academic journal who wants to publish it because like my my supervisor wanted me to get it published and I haven't edited it yet. <laughs> I can't. I don't I don't have the time. Um but if you are an academic journal with no standards and you want to publish this this 16,000 word monstrosity go for it. But it was really hard to research because the whole point was that we are pretty invisible to queer theorists and just people in general, which, you know, story of our lives, I guess. <laughs> we, we are known as the invisible orientation for a reason, but mm -hmm. yeah. So I picked up on all this history stuff through the research that I was doing. Um, and I think that Pride Month is a good time to share it because we already have an episode lined up for ace week and i missed ace day so uh, i'm going to cut out all of the ancient history i know there is some i've talked to some people about um stuff going on in china that involves oh, ace people. Uh, the golden orchid society yeah but i didn't research that so i can <laughs> talk about talk the golden about orchid it. society instead if you'd like Go for it, because um, I was going to start in 1890. <laughs> I mean, this one starts in like 1660, 1640s, I think? Yeah, 1640s-ish, because it. Um, it was like, so like, in South China, uh, in the 1640s-ish, we begin to see um, 
the Golden Orchid Society or a collection of organizations that would become known as the Golden Orchid Society appear uh, during the uh, Qing Dynasty. Um, yeah. Uh, in like 300 years-ish, over the 300 years that they existed before they tried to overthrow the fucking emperor, um, <laughs> they um, kind of created an order of specifically women, specifically, well, like, AFAB people that were just going to group under women for just, like, the sake of ease here, um, who um, stood, like, together with other women against straight heterosexual marriages because they were, like, very, very often abusive. And, like, you... <laughs> so, like... <laughs> It kind of stems from this culture of marriage and the time, like, around its existence, right? It's like, yeah, she, if a family has a daughter, you're going to find her a man to marry. And hopefully that will raise your station or you'll, you know, gain some profit. This is like a very simplistic view of like a cultural, a mixed, massively diverse cultural view of marriage at the time, because there's also a lot of different ethnic groups in China. Um, oh, but we're going to overload it. Like, we're just going to broadly consider this as it is and just acknowledge that I'm missing out a lot, a lot of nuance here. Yes. So, like, she, the daughter gets married and her duties are to obey her husband and to hopefully provide a son. Um, so, you know, this isn't exactly... Um, an appealing option for a lot of people like for a lot of women who you know are only into other women or are not into anyone at all um this was just they don't why marry a man you're not attracted to why have sex with him and why produce a son you know like there is nothing yeah. appealing about that um so you have a group of women who effectively formed several small cluster organizations who wanted to avoid marriage. Um, and it was very, very, very common for a lot of these members to be lesbians or bisexual or what we would now consider ace. Um, yeah. Like, obviously, the what we would now consider lesbians or bisexual as well is also grouped under that. But, like, we do find that this does include ace people. It does um, indeed. And... Um, the Golden Orchid Society was revolutionary in that it provided a completely different option to marrying a man. And not just one option, but multiple. One of them was, you could marry a woman. You could just do that. Yeah. Um, and, like, they weren't necessarily, like, romantic or sexual marriages. Like, you could marry another woman without, like, being sexually or romantically attracted to her. And it wasn't, like a looked down upon thing there were courtship rituals involved in this as well and it was like considered to have like there there is like it is very much an honor based thing of like we are going to do this the right way um and um like there is a contract signing ceremony that goes with like an acceptance of the proposal sort of deal um, like, this is also, like, not to say that, like, um, this practice was completely supported by society. Like, it was definitely seen as an act of rebellion. Like, 
you could you could very very much like form a union with another woman and it would still be seen as like this this rebellious shameful thing because you're supposed to marry a man um so like despite like a disapproval of it um there is often like a sec like where you are forced to kind of accept the fact that yeah she has made this decision because um when like uh, there was a practice with the golden orchid society where like if a woman was betrothed to a man without her consent she was going to reject all of his advances on the wedding night like if he tried to force herself on if he tried to force himself on her um the woman could like defend themselves physically which would breach the terms of the marriage contract and like then the bride would get sent home as an as a rejected wife and be like pretty much unweddable by anyone um except like or like unweddable to any man because now she has this status as a rejected wife um so you've got a rejected wife and you've got the shame of having an unmarried daughter who was rejected by her husband because she fought him off physically. Um, so you could just, like, at that point, yeah, the option of having her join one of the Gordon Orchid Society and, like, be married or, like, enter a contract of partnership with another woman was infinitely preferable. Yeah. Um, so it was definitely rebellious, but it wasn't like banned. Uh, and it yeah. was also like pretty acceptable for like these same sex couples under the Golden Orchid Society to um, like adopt and raise daughters um, and their children would then be able to inherit property. Um, nice. It's it's not a perfect society. Um, it is very much not like a perfect. The Golden Orchid Society was not ideal. Like, if a woman like broke the oath of marriage and engaged in a heterosexual relationship, um, public beaten beatings and public shamings were very very common. Um, uh, and also, uh, while like transgender women in China, or what we would modernly consider to be transgender women, um, could present as women in some spaces in China. Um, it was not like, it wasn't an identity, it was a thing that you did. Yeah. Um, so you're not considered a woman, so you're not included as like a member of the Golden Orchid Society, you are a man who is wearing women's clothing and presenting in, a, in, in the way of a woman, but you're not a woman. Um, so like, there's um a lot of um also we'll see the like inclusion of like uh asexual and aromantic like people and non-coupling people non-coupling women in the organ orchid orchid society um because like if a woman wanted to avoid marrying a man or marrying a woman or like any romantic or sexual partnership um they could comb their hair into a married woman's style uh, and would have like a, a ceremony to celebrate it. Um, like in the similar, similar to a marriage ceremony, except instead it's a ceremony to like state, hey, I am not going to accept anyone's romantic or sexual like, like attempts on me. Uh, yeah. So 
a lot of these um, ended up being ideal for aromatic and asexual people who did not want a partnership with anyone. Um, and like the marriages to other women weren't necessarily like not like weren't necessarily sexual like it wasn't necessarily a thing that you had to do like the golden orchid society didn't require you to be sexual with your partner but it was an option um yeah uh so like you could also just comb your hair into a married woman style and state that you um just didn't want to marry anyone but because this was an oath that you were not going to marry or um engage in like sexual partnerships with anyone um the context, like the the beatings and the public shamings that would happen to um, uh, people, like the women who ended up having a relationship with men uh, after they um, had already like devoted themselves to women and married another woman, like that that would still apply to you. You would still be beaten and shamed for it. Um, so, um, like that was definitely like. A risk that you would have to take but at the same time it was perfectly acceptable to just decide no I don't want any part in any of this actually and I'm not going to marry and I am not going to have sex with anyone and I'm going to be like married to myself effectively um and like yeah we see like in this there are a lot of flaws like no one exactly is hyped about the beatings and the public shamings and like obviously within marriages between women you can still have a lot of abuse um, and you don't, like, for the people who have that weird in-between space of aromanticism and asexuality, where, like, they might one day have an exception, uh, and decide that they want to either have sex with or marry that person, you can no longer do that. Um, like, that's not perfect, but, like, considering the culture at a time, this is, like, a massively progressive thing. And, yeah. uh, it did only last 300 years before they tried to overthrow the emperor, um, which is not necessarily ideal. I think it was 1949 when they were eventually banned. So that's pretty recent overall. Yeah. Uh, so 1644, apparently, to 1949. So that's over 300 years of um, the Golden Orchid Society existing. And um, queer women, including Ace and Aero women, were able to exist in these spaces quite happily, never marrying a man, and perhaps never marrying anyone if they didn't want to. Which is amazing, honestly. Yeah, for sure. Like, love that for them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, no society is perfect, so mm -hmm. we can't judge them too harshly for that, no. I guess. But at the same time, like, yeah, some of like... it is very yikes, some of it honestly sounds a little bit like the dream not gonna lie <laughs> yeah that's absolutely fair um like it's a it's a good like it's a good model that you can look at and be like this is incredibly progressive and there are things about this that we can then take forwards and like obviously nothing's going to be perfect i'm not saying that like we have to reject this entirely because of a few shit things like yeah there's a lot of shit things in a lot of history you don't have to just like them reject it like, because of that for the 1640s. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh. This is incredible. Can you imagine that happening in, like, the 1600s in Europe? Yeah, I mean, like, if I'd been alive in the 1600s in Europe, I guess you I would be in Europe. Come in 
Yeah, that would have been my option. Either be stuck in a horrible arranged marriage to some guy or be a nun. Uh, and honestly, I think being a nun would be better. Yeah. Even if 1600s is technically after the Reformation and therefore there weren't really any nuns. But like... No, but you know what I mean. Yeah, th those were the options and neither of them were particularly good options. I don't um, know, flee to France or something and become a nun there. Yeah, true. Um, but yeah, on the topic of um, Europe and mm -hmm. European history, um, the ace history uh, that I have researched uh, begins in 1890s Germany. Love that. Mm -hmm. um, with the wonderful Emma Trosser? Tross, Trosser, it's spelled T-R-O-S-S-E. Uh, I know enough German to know that you pronounce E's on the ends of words, but it doesn't sound right if you do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but anyway, she was a teacher and clinician from the Rhineland area. Uh, she also wrote poetry because why not just be an overachiever like that? <laughs> but she also wrote and published a number of pamphlets uh, advocating for queer rights and they were almost all censored in Germany, Austria-Hungary, and in Russia for being obscene. Because mm -hmm. remember, this is before the Weimar Republic. This is before we get all the uh, openness about sexuality and things. Um, and uh, most importantly to our little Ace History timeline, she was writing this before Magnus Hirschfeld. <laughs> 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 Magnus, Magnus Hirschfeld gets all the credit for being like the queer rights activist of Germany in that period and it's like no <laughs> no he came later by like two years but still <laughs> this is the level of semantics that we're getting to <laughs> yeah no that's absolutely fair Look, sometimes you just have to have a petty grudge against a particular part of history oh this whole thing is just and, petty um, <laughs> yeah um, because this is another one of those examples of those, I found out about a thing and refused to let it drop until I got to the bottom of it. Oh, what a mood. That I do. Um, because there is, and, uh, and I cannot emphasize this enough, one other academic ever who so much as mentions her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, they're also, there of the pamphlets that she wrote, one of them has less than five copies left in existence the other one i found like a single pdf of somewhere and nowhere else they are all written in fraktschrift german they have had no updates uh no translations made they're really really hard to find i only had copies of them because a friend of a friend was researching a similar topic and had been to this library in the Netherlands where they had like the one remaining copy that's in Europe Damn. <laughs> and uh, and they had a PDF of it so it got sent my way when I was like so I'm researching this thing and I can't find it um but yeah there's basically there's like one copy in Europe and two in uh university libraries in the states uh so like one's in the Harvard like university library or something um, so it's really hard to find. There's no translations. I am not a fluent German speaker. 
there is one other academic who mentions her like in the history of academia she's like a very niche you are just obsessed with picking the most obscure people <laughs> uh to just like this is going to be my special interest now you are just like, like so dedicated. making my life difficult <laughs> yeah you just really um, love researching the most obscure people that you can possibly find with next to nothing about them and i oh, respect yes. that absolutely um but yeah so this one other academic her name is christiana leidinger uh, and she claims that Emma Trusser was a lesbian, which is blatantly incorrect. Oh no. <laughs> uh, and the reason why we know that this is incorrect is because one of her pamphlets is a description of people that she describes as Menschen ohne Sinnlichkeit, which literally translates as people without sensuality. Um, and nowadays we have the the split attraction model which i love and just generally we have a more complex understanding of uh sexuality and sensuality and romantic attraction and all of that but the 1890s didn't <laughs> um so we can sort of assume that sensuality and sexuality were broadly considered the same thing mm -hmm. and if that is the case then she's talking about asexuals um which is really cool regardless but it gets better <laughs> because in this little pamphlet she writes a footnote that says that she is honored to consider herself among these people hell yeah so she came out via pamphlet advocating for queer rights at a time when that was a thing that you did not do um but yes, so she was ace, she was writing about ace people, defending us to a society that hated us, and I just, I love her a lot. Um, that is not the end of the story, <laughs> because I have read these pamphlets and spent so much time um, getting intimate with Google Translate and Word Reference and my old German textbooks from secondary school and trying to translate some of her work for for my thesis, which I submitted um a year ago in september <laughs> <laughs> but yes yeah, so for the sake of everyone i am going to avoid reading out the block quotes of german as much as possible um because my german is not that like my spoken german is not that great i've been told recently that i speak german with a danish accent now <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. I apparently both. <laughs> I apparently speak German with a Dutch accent, which like loosely makes sense to me, uh, yeah. but it's still very, very funny to me. I've started mispronouncing my A's in German and dropping my G's, which is a Danish thing. Ah. So, um, but yeah, so I'm going to try and avoid reading out the really long block quotes, but among the quotes that i wrote about in my thesis were some de detailing the difference between sexual and aesthetic attraction so like a very early idea of the split attraction model or ace people and how that works and uh the reasons why women don't marry <laughs> uh, as being like afraid of having sex with men um, which mm -hmm. could apply to lesbians as well as ace people, but considering the rest of that pamphlet is about these people without sensuality, um, we can sort of assume that she's sort of talking about both there. 
Yeah. Um, but there are some things that she was writing about that are just such a mood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though it's been like, what, 120, 130 years since she wrote them. Um, so like, there's this one bit where she's talking about a man born as in Lakite, so without sensuality. And she says that er mochte einfach nicht heitere Freunde versammeln sich um ihn, die ihn necken versporten, which, if you translate it, basically means he simply didn't like it, uh, talking about uh, sex. Uh, Cheerful friends gather around him, teasing and mocking him, uh, basically for his lack of interest in sex. Which, like, I think I've mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I've been in that situation where I've been made, like, not mocked exactly, but, like, people have laughed at me for not being into people like that. Uh, So that's very much still a thing that happens, and it has literally been 130 years since that Mm -hmm. pamphlet was published. Um, It is still happening exactly the same way. And it's just, it's one of those nice things where it's like, we can connect with people all the way through history, through these sort of experiences, which is really mm-hmm. cool. Uh, but there are some really nice bits of the pamphlet. It's not all really depressing. <laughs> um, so there's this one bit where she talks at length about what she calls ideal marriages between ace people, um, where there's no sex and no children involved or anything like that. And they're just really good friends. So it's kind of like a queer platonic partnerships where they they get married for the tax benefits sort yeah. of um and i just i love it so much it's just this whole paragraph and i had to like quote it and translate it and talk about it and i was just oh i love it so much um but yeah so ruig und nicht bleich gültig gehen so zwei menschen zusammen die strasse des lebens sie fühlen voreinander haben sich gern ohne das wilde stürme Heftige Leidenschaften, ihr Design, Stuhren und Truben. Kein Glühennis äh, verlangen, keine Tubende, Eifersucht, kein Jeer oder heimliche Treubruch. Ein Freundschaft uns wie es schöner und inniger nicht gedacht werden kann. Uh, so calmly and yet not indifferently, two people walk the road of life together. They feel for each other like each other, but without the wild storms, violent passions disturbing and clouding their existence. No burning desire, no raging jealousy, no sudden or secret betrayal, an alliance of friendship that could not be more beautiful and intimate. And I'm going to finish that section on that quote just because I think it gets across why I love this lady so much, because that's just beautiful. (laughs) That is the single most, like, intensely asexual thing that I've heard, though. Like I in know. terms of like sexual <laughs> false aces, like, like I I know several aces who are like hell yeah sex, but mostly in terms of just like I'm horny. Um, but like as as in terms of sexual false asexuals, that is the most like classical thing that I've ever heard of. Just yeah, like, that like that like firestorm of like sexual desire. Just them looking at that and being like, what the fuck <laughs> is up with that? Yeah, and it's that? like no one should have that. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like this idea that the sort of the passion behind sexuality is the thing that drives people apart in the end. Like, mm. what you need first is friendship. Yeah, and definitely. Wanting to 
be together platonically without necessarily needing to have sex to like each other. <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like just... most romance novels are missing that. Most romance yes. novels should really just be erotica and leave the romance to like I know. friends or something. I saw a theory once that ace people write the best romance novels because they don't have, like, sex isn't interesting to them. <laughs> So they try and make it interesting in other ways. (laughs) Ace people also uh, tend to write the best erotica, um, mostly because, like, if sex isn't, like, innately interesting, then you've got to find out a way that makes it, like, still interesting. um, Yeah. That doesn't just rely on, like, things that aren't appealing and are kind of just, like, that standard within erotica um, that is just not really, not really appealing at all. Uh, yes, I know a lot about the world of erotica. I know, like, at least five people who write erotica professionally, and I get a lot of stories from them. Um, oh, I know someone who writes erotica, and she deliberately does not send me the stuff that she writes. She also listens to this podcast. <laughs> Hi, Penella. <laughs> Hi. But, yeah, so our next vaguely important thing in ace history it was something that was only actually picked up on recently um if i'd been writing my thesis when i was in my undergrad degree i possibly wouldn't have seen it um because this was only pulled out of the depths of history um in t- late 2019 um So there was a reverend in New Orleans called Charles Schlegel, also German. Why is it always the Germans? Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) Um, this this reverend in New Orleans. Um, And the only reason that he is at all important, (laughs) because he's just like a normal guy doing his job. Um, He got like expelled from the church for supporting queer rights. Um, Okay. But in terms of asexual history, it's important because he included asexuality in that, like, support. Um, So he was a really cool dude. So in 1907, he was up on charges of promoting sodomy in the church. And he quite literally stood up in that court and said, and this is a direct quote, which I found in the recorded minutes from the presbytery, like from the hearing, (laughs) (laughs) let the same laws for all the intermediate stages of sexual life, the homosexuals, the heterosexuals, bisexuals, asexuals, be legal as they are now in existence for the heterosexuals. Which is cool because we're mentioned by name. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Which is very cool. but the other reason why that's quite interesting is because aside from yeah we were associated with the queer community for as long as it's existed thing is that he used asexual as a term mm-hmm. you will notice that before this we have emma trosser who calls them mention on a zillikite um not asexuals um this is the first instance asexual being used as a term to describe a person ever but he it's not like he was including definitions or anything and like even now when you're reading articles about asexuality um in the humanities or in the social sciences the first thing that these these um 
these academics include is a definition because yeah. people still don't know what it means. <laughs> and this guy's just like throwing it out there as a term that everyone should know. There's no definition, there's no explanation of what it means. It's the same for bisexual. Nobody's used the term bisexual before then either. So then it's like, so evidently people knew what it meant. It was in yeah. the common vernacular, right? So how what? did it get forgotten again? Where, where did it come from? Where is the first actual use of asexual as a term? And I tried to trace this and found a whole load of nothing. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so there's documented in the church like records when they were doing this case. It talks about the different books that they'd found in his possession that were apparently like criminal <laughs> uh, and for being about like queerness and homosexuality. They're not available. You can't find those. Um, no, none of his contemporaries who were writing about queer theory and queer rights at the time mention asexuality. It's just a dead end. And we all know how much I hate dead ends. But unfortunately, I have traced this in as many different ways as I can. And I, I can't find it. Um, and it's there's sort of a little network, I guess, of ace people on the internet who are researching ace history. And all of them have found the same thing. They get as far back as Charles Schlegel and then they get stuck. There's there's nothing else. Um That's wild. But yeah, so nineteen oh seven, first recorded use of the term asexual. And we don't know where it came from. <laughs> it just like um, so, I know there's yeah. um like closer to the 1990s uh like lots we've already got the term asexual and then we have the construction of the definition of asexual in a modern sense that comes yes. much much later but yes. I didn't know that we'd already had that term by one point like I knew obviously in terms of like Kinsey scale stuff which I'm assuming that you're going to get to um, yes because <laughs> like that that's is like next the on most, my list <laughs> that's like the most common thing we obviously have that. But to have the word asexual before we have the actual, like, modern community definition of what it means to be asexual is something that I didn't know and is really interesting. Yeah, and like, because obviously we've always existed, but we've been under sort of different names, different terminologies. Like, even in sort of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, we weren't always referring to ourselves as ace. Like, there yeah. were different terms that people were using, different definitions, and all of that. And we'll get onto a little bit of that later. Because um, yeah. there is a lot of stuff from the 70s and 80s that sort of is coming out um, about asexuality specifically. But, but yeah, like, as a concept ace people have always existed just under different names and that's what makes researching it so hard is because you have to try and search for the concept rather than the term <laughs> because you know the assumption is always that the term didn't exist until yeah. like probably the 90s um with you know when it starts getting um talked about the internet becomes a thing right uh, avon is yeah. created in 2001 um, Boguette does his study in the late 90s up until 2004 when it's published and stuff like that like that's when it starts to become like an accepted term so everyone's like oh asexuality as a term didn't exist before sort of the the 90s maybe so you have to look for the concept when no actually the 
the term asexual existed before that we just don't know where it came from <laughs> mm. which is really frustrating in like in terms of um like semantics and linguistic stuff and i'm very into that kind of thing because you know literature um but yeah it's it's frustrating but like even without the term asexual it's like we've always existed you know so yeah it's it just makes it harder when you don't have a specific search term to use and you yeah, know like if you if you go into a university library and you do a search on their like database just for asexual the most likely thing you're going to get as your top result is still like fungi <laughs> but but you know that's just how that's always going to work isn't it uh, but yeah, so you mentioned the Kinsey scale, and fun fact, that is next on my list. <laughs> um, I am very so, much looking forward to this, because yeah. uh, I know so many people who have so many feelings about the Kinsey scale, and I'm wondering, like... I have so many feelings about the Kinsey scale that I had to cut out all my research about it from my thesis because it's too long. <laughs> I've tried to make it short for the sake of the podcast, but like... <laughs> Don't get me started, because I will mm -hmm. go on. Um, but yes, yeah, so the Kinsey scale, obviously, in the 40s, it's a scale for where people exist in terms of sexuality. It goes from exclusively heterosexual to exclusively homosexual, and it's seen as this big landmark thing because it includes a whole spectrum. Bisexual people exist for once, you know, um, all of that. It has category X, <laughs> which people take to mean asexual people um and like great we've been included but the um the point of category x is to include people who have had no sociosexual contact um which makes it kind of uh, i can't find a better word but it makes it kind of problematic in a way okay to say that it is asexuality exclusively because some ace people do have sex or yes. have had sex and therefore would not be considered part of category x and also category x includes children mm -hmm. who shouldn't be having sex <laughs> like <laughs> and i don't uh, like that includes children like from birth like i'm not just talking about like 16 to 18 year olds here like Jesus. genuine children um that includes everyone who has had no sex right that's the point no sex or like no sexual contact so that's going to include like ace people who have never had sex and don't want to fine great it also includes people who are celibate yeah and celibate people are not necessarily asexual celibacy yeah. is a separate thing they are quite often interlinked in that a lot of ace people who don't know that they are ace choose to be celibate and we will get onto that in a little bit um but they are not necessarily in and of themselves asexual it also you know includes children who <laughs> think of the children should not be having sex you know so it's this sort of complicated area and that it's kind of nice to think that he sort of thought to include us um but it's not really a category just for asexuals 
I guess. And, you know, like people misinterpret the Kinsey scale and try to adapt the Kinsey scale for a more modern audience and end up just forgetting about the existence of category X. Um, when I was in undergrad, I went to a conference uh, in Pride Month, actually, mm -hmm. for, uh, called like um, something about the rainbow, under the rainbow, something like that. Uh, and it was a conference all around different people who were doing some sort of studies within queer theory in mm. any form, whether that was in literature and social sciences and just straight up biological sciences and psychology, all of that. For the record, there was no one in the humanities, <laughs> <laughs> which made it quite hard for me because I'm not a scientist. But there were some people there who had made a multi-dimensional version basically of the Kinsey scale I don't I can't remember the specifics of how it worked but they made this alternative to the Kinsey scale um that was supposed to be more suitable for modern life yeah that they were planning on using in a study and it was the one and only time I asked a question in the whole conference I sat in all of those lectures and did not say a word but that made this made me so frustrated because they had included bisexuality, pansexuality, all of that, they'd completely forgotten about the existence of ace people. Uh -huh. um, and I sort of put my hand up and asked, I'm asexual, where do I fit on this scale? Yeah. And they kind of looked at each other and basically went, you don't. Oh, <laughs> well, it's like, that. you know, being at a conference for queer people, about queer people and queer theory and being told you don't fit, is not a great feeling so that kind no, of ruined definitely. it for me but but yeah like it's it is quite funny that kinsey is more inclusive in terms of like queer identity than people in 2019 2020 well this wouldn't have been 2020 2018 2019 sort of time um so that's that was quite fun yeah. um but yeah my my thoughts on kinsey are basically that you know it's nice to be included but it's not like you can't look at the kinsey scale and go category x is just for the ace people because yeah it's not it doesn't include all of us anyway and it includes a lot of people who aren't ace um and like you know it might be that you know because he was just like walking down the street and asking people like have you had any sexual contact with if you had sexual contact with men or women and putting them on a scale based on that and it's like you could talk to someone who's like 18, 19, 20, whatever at college, and they haven't had sex yet because they just, they're saving themselves until marriage or they haven't met someone that they want to have sex with yet, but they're still yeah. like straight or gay or bi or whatever, but they're putting category X. They're not ace. They just haven't had sex yet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's this, it's kind of a complicated thing that I think tends to get oversimplified when people talk about it. Um, and that's sort of true for a lot of queer history and ace history, specific, uh, particularly because it's such a grey area in terms of like identifying people as a certain sexual orientation. Because, yeah. you know, like one of the first things we got told when we started studying queer theory and queer literature was like, you cannot 
assign historical figures a sexuality by modern standards like you can't read shakespeare's plays and go shakespeare was bi because the early modern period had a completely different conceptualization of what sexuality and gender presentation was um and it's and it's really hard to find asexuality in in anyone that you don't know and including in yourself because it's a lack of something rather than the presence yeah. of something like you can um, read like, someone's letters and say like you can read like the iliad or the odyssey or whatever the iliad and go achilles and patroclus were attracted to each other they were gay for each other you know great because it's there in the text right? yeah but you can't look at a character and go, they're ace because they don't have sex with anyone. Because a lot of people don't have sex with people. I and that's fine. <laughs> have heard of, you have a pond. Uh, and a lot of the other people have ponds too. A lot of other people have turtles in their ponds. You don't seem to have any turtles in your pond. That looks just like a rock, actually, and not at all. And you don't know whether or not you're ever going to get turtles in these ponds. Like, maybe one turtle will rock up but you, yeah. you don't know for sure um and yeah maybe something's turn up in your pond and you're still not sure if it's a turtle or if it's a rock and because you don't actually people, know what a turtle looks like that also <laughs> because uh, you've never like, seen one before <laughs> like there is that problem as well of like you cannot look into another per- person's pond and look and point it out directly that's definitely a turtle but it might just yeah. be a rock yeah. Um, like we get that problem a lot with like discussionality with historical figures. It yes, we just know we are not them unless they are explicitly yes. saying I have never had a turtle end or turtle that is in my pond. We don't know for sure because we're not there looking at their pond and poking and seeing if there have ever been turtles in there. <laughs> like yeah, like we cannot like the same way that you cannot know. Like all of a person who is in your life and present right now, and all of their experiences, and be able to look at them and know for sure whether or not they've had turtles in their pond. We definitely cannot do that to celebrities, because not celebrities to historical people, because they're fucking dead. And also, we don't know all of them. And because they're dead, we're never going to know all of them. And we have to be okay with the fact that, like. For a lot of the time, we're never going to know for sure if there were turtles in their pond or not, unless they explicitly say, I've had turtles in my pond, or I haven't had turtles in my pond. And even then, like, that can be, like, a little fuzzy sometimes. Like, we have to make peace with, like, the fact that we cannot just assign any sexuality, including heterosexuality, to anyone historically. Yes. Um, And, like... Yeah, even if we got a time machine and went back in time to when these historical figures were alive and asked them, you know, metaphorically, did you have any turtles in your pond? Yeah. <laughs> um, they would, like, if you brought them back to the future and were just like, hey, you know, Shakespeare, were you bi? Or, you know, Emma Trosser, were you asexual? They'd just sort of be like, holy f- you have aeroplanes now. <laughs> yeah. What is this Twitter thing that exists that you can write on? <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't they wouldn't care and they wouldn't understand what you were talking about anyway, because that wasn't a thing that existed for them. Yeah. You know? 
and it's a it's a whole it's a whole thing so it's it's tricky to assign these kinds of things to historical figures or even like fictional characters and like even in the modern day like you can make assumptions about people but that's kind of like th that really disturbs me actually when people are just like oh this this celebrity is gay normally it's gay um, <laughs> and it's like a how do you know <laughs> yeah they are not you and b that's really kind of creepy to just go and assign that thing to someone without them knowing yeah. about it i guess and like having any kind of discussion with them just like watching them on the tv and going i assign you gay it's like no guys that's really creepy stop that um but yeah, so what were we talking about? The Kinsey scale. I have Kinsey issues scale. with the Kinsey scale and how people assume category X is asexuality because it's not really. And I don't know if that's sort of what you were talking about earlier when you said that you'd seen that a lot of people have like opinions about it. Oh yeah, that that was definitely like one of the major things that I was thinking about is the fact that like that's one of the big that's that's one of the big um like issues that people take with it is that specific thing and there obviously mm -hmm. there's like the presentation of sexuality as a spectrum is much better but also leaves out a lot of like the more subtle nuances of things yeah um that like it's a good starting point and it's a good starting point to introducing people to the idea that there are more sexualities than being exclusively heterosexual or exclusively homosexual um but uh it is also just like it is not the end place um that a lot of people seem to treat it as or have yeah. seemed to treat it as in particularly the early to mid 2010s that was like yeah. very much the thing was like that was that was like obviously when I was first figuring out what flavor of queer I was and that was like here's your reading it's the Kinsey scale okay we're done and on the topic of uh slightly controversial criticisms of seminal queer texts <laughs> uh oh now we have the asexual manifesto mm -hmm. okay so this I have seen this like cited and reposted all over the place as this like foundational asexual text right mm. where it's like and you know it has asexual in the name so why wouldn't people assume that um but <laughs> i have some slightly controversial opinions about it um, so <laughs> let's get into that yeah um but yeah so lisa orlando who wrote the manifesto was a 1970s radical feminist, which I'm sure you probably know about this, but for people at home, that is a completely different thing yeah. <laughs> to what you see today on the internet. Modern radical feminism is a bastardization of yes. uh, the um, original namesake of radical feminism. Yeah. Not to say that there aren't strains of then radical feminism that closely mirror today's, um, but we can broadly consider like radical feminism of that time to be different to radical feminism of today. Yes, so radical feminism in the 70s and in academia even today largely is completely different to um, what people think of when they think of radical feminism 
now, which is mostly, you know, TERFs on the internet. Um, as far as I am aware, <laughs> Lisa Orlando was probably not a TERF, <laughs> but she was sort of on the same sort of vein as sort of the proto turfy radical feminists you know the sort of the man-hating mm -hmm. feminists yep um so she got quite annoyed about the sort of sex positive free love part of 70s feminism um and proclaimed in this manifesto that women should simply stop having sex yeah, this is also this when was... we see political lesbianism starting to rise yes. up. So if you know about political lesbianism, this I is also indeed. where it starts to tie in. Tie in. Uh, I was yes. mostly referring to like, hey, listeners, if you know about like uh, political lesbianism, you should consider these things to be very, very heavily connected. Uh, they and are. Incredibly intertwined and cannot be like separated. So Lisa Orlando was working alongside another woman whose name I cannot remember at the time of writing the asexual manifesto and she wrote the asexual manifesto and the other woman was basically like the starting point of political lesbianism so yeah they are much more closely linked than i think a lot of people realize but mm -hmm. yes yeah, so she basically believed that the only way to stop men from exploiting women and sexually exploiting women was for women to not have sex yep with men primarily but she went a little bit of a step further and decided that women should just stop having sex entirely because uh to her mind it was hypocritical for women to have sex with other women <laughs> while not having sex with men um and that we should just stop having sex entirely which is um, so fucking stupid i would just like to say like just just think about it for like two seconds audience and consider how Fucking stupid this sounds like i know this is so stupid <laughs> i have read this whole thing and there were bits where i was like you know okay this makes a little bit of sense this is kind of cool this is sort of you know subversive and all of that and then there were bits where i was like what the fuck are you talking about this is nonsense but anyway so her proposal was basically like a sex strike <laughs> yeah. so you know make like the nurses and the teachers and the postman and border control and the rail workers and i can't remember who else is on strike at the moment but anyway <laughs> stop having sex with men says lisa orlando sex mm -hmm. is unnecessary sex is a barrier to true intimacy with people uh society thinks that women who do not want to have sex are sick or inadequate and so we must prove them wrong by choosing to not have sex <laughs> Like, you can definitely see here where, like, elements of this have become, like, useful to asexual people. Yes. But as a whole, this text is not what I would consider to be the foundation point of asexuality. This yes. has some useful things that asexuals and aromantics have borrowed from this text. And I still think this text is, like, worth reading so that you know to not follow in this footsteps. Like, <laughs> you need to read the errors yeah. that someone else has made and gone, well, that's the stupidest <laughs> that I've ever heard, and then properly <laughs> disregard it. Um, but yeah, so the, these are all the things that she was writing about, and there are some things that link very closely in with asexuality and, like, asexual theory, and that's kind of cool. So, like, she was talking about compulsory sexuality and a lot of ideas that ace people and ace sort of academics i guess still talk about today um but there's also this word that she uses a lot 
And I wonder if you've picked up on it, because I think I've used it a couple of times, where, you know, this whole idea that women should choose to stop having sex with people. Mm-hmm. So uh, in Lisa Orlando's idea of asexuality, it was a choice. <laughs> You choose to not have sex with men. You choose to think that sex is bad, <laughs> which makes it celibacy. I would also like to add, like the idea that sex is like an inherently exploit, like a an act of exploitation. It's also not a thing that like you will find a lot of the time in ace communities. Like yeah. the vast majority of ace people that I know, even those who are sex repulsed, do not see sex as something bad or wrong. It's just not no. for them. Uh, in the we're, same way we're quite that, like, a sex positive yeah, uh, sort um, of community. Like, we just don't personally enjoy it. <laughs> it's like the vast majority of like kinky asexuals that I know, not really interested in the like sex part, but very interested in the kink part, and do a yeah. very very good job of promoting like the idea that sex is what you make it. Like yes. sex can be literally anything. If you decide that kissing is sex for you, then it's sex. Uh, if you decide that, I don't know, spanking is sex for you, then that's sex. Like, the act of, like, deciding what sex means to you is something that you see massively spoken about in kinky, asexual circles that have done wonders for, like, kink communities as a whole and asexual communities as a whole, and also vanilla communities as well. Like, vanilla yeah. aloe communities, because it gives you suddenly this idea that you, like, there is no one definition of sex, and it can be whatever you want it to be, so long as it's fun for you. Yeah, and there there are a lot of very... So, sort of, regardless of all of this, it's considered to be one of the defining pieces of ace literature, and I find that really frustrating, because A, a lot of the stuff that's brought up is kind of stupid, um, and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, it's not really asexuality as we understand it today, or even what was understood to be asexual at the time. She just chose that word because she liked it more than the alternatives, which is... Mm -hmm. <clears throat> gets on my nerves. Um, but also, someone asked her in sort of the 2000s, possibly the early 2010s, I can't remember if she's alive anymore, um, but they asked her when asexuality was becoming a much more prominent thing within the queer community, what she thought of the ace community and if she'd still identify as asexual now and she said no she doesn't consider herself asexual that was just a political choice mm -hmm. which a problem um but also she, you know she said some quite unkind things about asexual people and how we identify which you know that's not great considering you were calling yourself asexual for like 30 years uh, yeah <laughs> But and but I find it quite funny because like, you know, aloe people, as far as I'm aware, and you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, you can't just turn off your sexual attraction. Like even if you decide you don't want to have sex with someone, you can you're still attracted to them. Um, yes, you can like make an effort to not deliberately think about it in a way that then like. Also, like, an emotion can influence sexual attraction, so a thing such as, like, the if one day you wake up and you suddenly see them as more like a sibling, your sexual attraction can then just peter off and drop off entirely. Oh yeah, of um, course. Or it can be a thing of, like, being determined, this is my best friend, I'm never going to have sex with them. Your, your brain can, like, 
flip that switch and suddenly you're not be sexually attracted to them even though you can look at them and be like yeah i can see they are sexually attractive but i'm not sexually attracted to them because we have defined our relationship in this way and i refuse to be sexually attracted to them like it is possible but it is not innate um, yes sexual attraction is like a thing that is just a thing that happens uh you can't really choose whether or not you are sexually attracted to a person unless you're like actively doing some work in like considering and reconsidering i guess what you do consider to be sexually attractive particularly yeah. in the context of like people of color and fat people uh and disabled people and trying to like recontextualize what it means to be sexually attracted as sexually attractive and then you find yourself more sexually attracted to those people like that is a thing that happens but you don't like make that choice necessarily to be like actually yeah. attracted to that person and see see this was my point right is that you you can't just turn it off but what she's describing in the asexual manifesto when she's talking about the choice choice in air quotes okay. to be asexual the process that she's describing is basically a process of turning off your sexual attraction so mm -hmm. my theory that she would hate <laughs> is that she is in fact a spec mm -hmm. in some way and just didn't want to admit it and um and this is sort of what um what we vaguely mentioned earlier in that my theory is is that a lot of people through history who declared themselves celibate for whatever reason or like Lisa Orlando who decided we're going to go on a sex strike and not have sex yeah. with men or anyone anymore because we don't need it <laughs> it's a stupid <laughs> thing for us to do they're probably a spec in some way and just don't know that they don't have the language to like articulate it properly and yeah or the words to describe themselves and their experiences and that's their way of saying, I don't want this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I've spoken to a fair few people who are aloe and in sexual relationships with people and sort of said to them, so what do you think of this idea where you could just, you know, switch it all off and just decide you don't want to have sex with your partner anymore? And they're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> I... <laughs> that's not a thing we can do. So, so yeah, yeah that's, that's my theory. Like like with either of my partners i could not consider like no longer wanting to have sex with them admittedly it is like slightly funkier because like one of my partners is aero ace and does not experience sexual attraction but is like very has a very high libido but so like even then i could not consider myself as like suddenly being like i no longer want to have sex with you without something like majorly earth shattering happening that would change like how i view them or how i view myself or how i view the world around me like that is not just a thing that i can like switch off something would yeah. have to happen first well good to know that i was right then you are <laughs> so so around the same time um as in like lisa orlando was writing in the 70s this is late 70s early 80s um, a lady called Myra Johnson was out there, this is now in the States, <laughs> um, writing an essay about the oppression of asexual women, specifically, mm -hmm. that was very heavily influenced by 
asexuality as a low sexual desire disorder, which later became hyposexual desire disorder or HSDD in the DSM. Mm-hmm. Um, which, as a side note, <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, it was a very big deal in the ACE and probably Arab community as well. Uh, the DSM now has a little note in it as of the fifth edition, which was released in 2013. It says that you do not have HSDD if you identify as asexual. But my problem with this is that a lot of people still don't know asexuality is a thing and therefore wouldn't identify as ace um, and would be more likely to think that there's something wrong with them and then seek that diagnosis. And, uh, mm-hmm. and B... The DSM is only used in the US, Canada, and I think maybe Australia. Uh, it's also used in the UK. It's not. No, it is sometimes. Sometimes, but the it's not like the first document that no, they'll go to. we have to. like the ICD, the NHS, like... The NHS um, uses the World Health Organization's handbook, um, primarily. We... Primarily, yes. However, you will occasionally see some people, especially within the NHS mental health system, that do refer yes. more to the DSM. Um, um, so, like, it's not wholly accurate, but yes, for example, yeah, don't automatically. For, for mental health things, yeah, they'll go to the DSM, but mm-hmm. uh, HSDD is not a mental health disorder. Oh, I thought it was characterised as a mental health disorder. Uh, I don't think so. I think from what I understand, it's some kind of, like, hormone Oh, yes, no, never mind. I was um, thinking of something but slightly yes, and the, different. The World Health Organization's handbook that the NHS uses mm-hmm. uh, does not have that neat little footnote in it. Mm-hmm. So the conclusion to this side note is basically don't tell the NHS that you're ace because it's still considered a disease here. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, anyway... Uh, so Myra Johnson was basically arguing that our oppression is twofold. Uh, where we, as an ace people and arrow people, to an extent, um, which you will like see more of a discussion of yes. at a point in time. We haven't like developed like arrow as a separate term yet. We'll come to that yes. later. That's, um, like, but that sort of the sort of area of non-normative sexual uh, sexuality in the sort of the area of not wanting to have sex with people mm-hmm. um we're oppressed because people think we're sick which is where we come into that uh sexual desire disorder type sphere of influence mm-hmm. um and we're also oppressed because we're invisible <laughs> um and this is actually where you start to see the sort of the ace visibility side of our sort of activism becoming a thing Uh, Something that we're aiming for, uh, becoming more visible to the public and to the wider queer community. Um, But it's a very neat little essay and it is much more like... (sighs) It fits much more into our sort of modern interpretation of what asexuality is than the asexual manifesto. Um, I prefer it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as an exploration of asexuality to the asexual manifesto because um because yeah as we've already sort of discussed the asexual manifesto very much is sort of talking about this political celibacy type thing which mm-hmm. is one of those terms that i despise with every ounce of my being <laughs> mm-hmm. um but 
this is very much talking about asexuality as an innate part of us. It's not something that we choose and it's not something we can change. It's something that people see the sort of the wider society that is like um, allonormative and amatonormative. Um, they see it as a problem, but it's not something that's actually wrong with us. It's just something that we are and we can't yeah. change, which is very nice for all that you know she's basically writing about how society hates us <laughs> but it's not yeah. our fault we just live like this um for all that it's kind of depressing um and it's especially depressing when you're looking at it now and you see what sort of started to happen afterwards um it's also quite nice to sort of look back and see that she had some very sort of modern sounding understandings of what asexuality was and mm. that sort of thing so so that's quite nice uh but from this point on almost all of the scholarship that you can read is about that lovely pathologization thing in the dsm yeah love that <laughs> um in that up until probably about 2015, 2016, every single article that I found about asexuality, and there were not that many really, um, was about how to cure us, um, which is very depressing. <laughs> Even in terms of like, there were articles that I read about asexual representation and how to pick out ace literature and ace characters in media even then it's it talks about how we are considered sick how there's something yeah. wrong with us uh, it talks about the dsm explicitly and it's it's horrible and like yeah you in all the asexual characters that you see on tv between when this was written and 2013 there's no good representation of us. Like, you know, you get that horrific house episode, <laughs> which oh, I refuse to watch. Christ. And, you know, all of that. D David J, who created Avon, went on Fox News. Why would you choose to go on Fox News? But he went on Fox News and had an interview, and they just, like, slagged him off throughout the whole interview, and he had to sit there and take it. It's just, it's awful. But, but you do also start to see an increase in mentions of things that could be asexuality or sort of talk around it. Like David Bowie apparently mentioned it in an interview. Um, the internet becomes a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that is when people start using asexual as a term or other terms that mean the same sort of thing to sort of talk about their experiences as ace people. Um, I think you had some things to say about this, but yeah, you get that, um, that zine where they talk about like my life as an amoeba and amoeba oh, amoeba, yeah. amoeba. <laughs> where they're talking about asexuality, but they don't use the term asexual for it. Um, and sort of stuff like that, which is really mm -hmm. kind of cool to see. And it's quite nice to sort of look back at all of those things because they're still around. That's internet era stuff. You can still find those. Um, a lot of the other stuff that I've talked about is really hard to track down copies of it. Yeah. Um, I specifically talk about the aromanticism side of Avon because on Avon is where we see the very, very first use of aromantic. 
Um, Lovely. Um, so, like, you know, the asexual community is starting to take off in, like, late 90s, early 2000s, like, online, I mean. Uh, and you'll see, like, a lot more people try to define their sexuality and how they relate to other people. You start to see the split attraction model has already become a thing by like this point in 2005 when we get our first mention of um when we get our first mention of asexuality uh, like not asexuality aromanticism um because we get things like so specifically what i want to talk about here is a poll that was um an orientation poll was done on a thread on avon uh, with yeah. 1,793 people who checked off their orientation. Um, and aromantics, mostly at the time, would describe themselves as asexual, asexual, meaning they had neither sexual nor romantic interests in anyone. So, yeah. none at all. Or <laughs> asexual, asexual being non-Sam Aro. So they are not non-Sam Ace, I mean. So they are exclusively asexual and have no other identity, sexual or romantic, attached to that. Because our other options, I'm looking at the original poll right now actually, <laughs> is straight asexual, gay asexual, bi asexual, asexual asexual, or and other, or changing attraction and other things like that. Um, and um, you see someone suddenly realise, hey, isn't it a bit weird that we call it asexual asexual? Um, and this is, right. the quote. this is the direct quote is surely a romantic asexual would be a better way of describing it and this is uh live are perfect or live are perfect i'm not sure which um who was an avon member and this is posted on february 9th 2005 and this is our first recorded instance of the word aromantic being used and at that point suddenly it starts to take off i mean the question kind of goes unanswered in that no one really like answers whether or not it would be better to call it that. But in about 2006, we begin to see like a couple more posts about aromantic, using the term aromantic cropping up. Yeah. Um, one comment has like an author that says, I consider myself to be an aromantic asexual or an asexual asexual. So like putting like what used to be the common term in like quotes. Uh, which was like a pretty rapid change considering. So between 2005 and 2006, we see suddenly this switch to a romantic asexual. Um, we have like a couple groups that like are also talking about like a romantic at the time, but not in terms of like a serious identity. We also have, um, you were talking about the human amoeba, uh, we have a YouTube group called Haven for the Human Amoeba, and there is a user there, uh, MaxNova100, who talks about, like, they can't understand their friends throwing away, like, what is important to them for the sake of a romantic relationship, like, prioritizing a romantic relationship or even desiring a romantic relationship because they are romance-averse, does not make sense to them. Um, and they end the post with the sentence, what would be an appropriate term for someone who is not quite asexual, but who dreads the concept of being in a relationship? A romantic? Lol. Um, and this is like, this in 2002 is the first time we see aromantic, but it isn't really seen as an identity that like you can willingly choose 
to call yourself until we see the adoption of aromantic asexual. Yeah. Um, so that's like still at the point where aromanticism and asexuality are so closely tied together that you cannot separate them, even though we now have a more cement term for it, a more cemented term for it that you can use. Um, and it's, so that is our first instance. So 2002 uh, is the first time. Yeah. 2005 is the first time we see it in terms of aromantic asexual. 2006 is the first time we see it as on like, um, as our first like actual use of the term as an identity. And then around 2011, we see the National Coalition for Aromantic Visibility crop up. Um, it's now defunct. Uh, like you can only really access it through archive stuff. I believe yeah. that like some of the links might possibly work, but yeah, <laughs> um, it was www.aromantic.org. Uh, and our first, it's also around when we see our first few flags crop up. Um, the first flag probably was the green, yellow, orange, and black flag. Um, and if you haven't seen it, it is, uh, it's really quite something in that it's kind of hideous. It's not, it's not a particularly attractive flag. It kind of looks just bad. Um, it just doesn't, it doesn't click really. Uh, and it doesn't look that good. Um, and people are like, you know, kind of so about it. So we have like the next um, flag that comes up that we start to see more commonly used is a five stripe flag that we oh see i've just seen now. the first one you're right that is kind yeah, of the, hideous it, it is pretty bad um so like we have that one um and then we see like the dark green light green yellow gray and black flag which you'll recognize because it is almost identical to the current flag that we use yeah um with the first Except person the yellow. who proposed it. Yes. So the first person who proposed it is a uh, a non-binary lesbian, an aerospec non-binary lesbian named uh, Cameron. And I'm actually looking at their post uh, right now where they were <laughs> talking about the definitions of the flags and like the colors on the flags with uh, green and light green being the aerospectrum um, and yellow being the platonic stripe for friendship and platonic aesthetic and queer platonic relationships and family and the importance and validity of all of those relationships and the feelings that they bring. And the black and gray being the sexuality spectrum, which acknowledges, you know, aeroaces and uh, aerosexuals and everything in between, because like, there's a lot of diversity here. And this person spent a long, long time thinking about like, the definitions and the colors and reevaluating like some of the meanings of the stripes because during this period the aromantic community was growing very very rapidly and talking a lot about like what it um what it like what it means to be aero and all the different ways that you can be aero um and it's it's really impressive to see just how like deeply dedicated these people were to like or this person in particular to creating a flag that was like meaningful and symbolic for everyone um for those that don't know 
one of the earliest Aero flags as well was almost identical to the ace flag, uh, but one color was inverted. If you invert purple, you get green, um, because aromanticism was kind of at the beginning seen as like an inversion of asexuality, which yeah. is not it's wrong, but it's also not it's not all the way there. Um, yeah, uh, we're more similar than we are different. I yeah. think. Um, and so you had, um, instead of the ace flag being like, we need to refer to the colours of the ace flag real quick to make sure I get this right, instead of black, grey, white and purple, you get black, grey, white and green. That was the yeah. first ever aero flag that I saw, uh, was black, grey, white, green. It didn't really take off because a lot of people had problems with like, you know, um, the whole uh, just colour inverted basically asexual like didn't really want that to be just like its thing the aromantic thing to be like the inverse of asexuality um especially with the amount of aromantic people who weren't ace uh and who didn't want to be like deemed as like a subset of the ace community so you know you get yeah. more changing flags and then this person who created the like two shades of green the yellow the gray and then the black flag uh, comes up with a different version of it, um, which is what we have now, which is the two shades nice. of green, the white, the grey, and the black, which, as far as I'm aware, still stands for the exact same things as what I mentioned earlier with the changes in, like, the meanings, with green and light green being aerospectrum, the yellow being, like, the platonic stripe, and the black and grey being, like, the sexuality spectrum. Um, and that is in 2014 to 2015. So overall, this is a very, very young flag. We've yes. had this flag for uh, maybe nine years at this point, like max. Um, actually, when did when was this posted? The original post was the 21st of August 2014. Um, so this isn't even a nine-year-old flag yet. Um, and then slowly it starts, you know, it becomes more and more and more popular. People start really, really enjoying this flag in particular. Um, and then we see with, I don't know if you were going to talk about ace rings in a bit, but we also see aero rings, which are white rings instead of black on your left middle finger to signify that you're aero. Um, yeah. We get um, a rockalypse created in 2016-ish, we think. Uh, Aerocalypse is a chat forum for Aero people, which is now defunct, unfortunately. Like, it's still there and you can still access it, but the forums aren't running anymore, I don't believe. It's shut down. No one's particularly posting anything anymore. It kind of started to shut down uh, in 2020, March-ish, March-ish 2020. Um, Aces and Aeros actually still has, like, a, a, a functioning, like, topic about like Aerocalypse as well and I know that Aerocalypse has like been like a very prominent thing for um uh a lot of the aromantic community it is what to the aromantic community what Avon was to the ace community except it's now no longer really a thing yeah and in 2018 uh we suddenly see the um the definition of aromantic and other like romantic orientations added to the Oxford English Dictionary, which is, is our proof that at this time in 2018, a lot of people were using it in the common vernacular. 
because it isn't just a case of like any word gets added to the Oxford English Dictionary or only like proper words get added to the Oxford English Dictionary. It is words that people are using and the definitions by which they use them, which means that at this point, the split attraction model and aromanticism have become like a thing that people are talking about enough for it to get added into the Oxford English Dictionary. And nice. that's pretty recent. That's still incredibly recent. That's five years. Um, yeah. So overall, the aromantic community being separate from the ace community is very, very, very young. Um, and it's... We we have obviously seen like aromanticism crop up before, like in 1979 with love and limerence. Uh, Dorothy Tenov speaks about like limerent and non-limerent people, um, with like the idea that like romantic and sexual love are not like necessarily linked. With uh, limerence being an outdated term now, I guess for romantic attraction, and non-limerent meaning people who had never felt romantic love. Um, so it's like a precursor to aromaticism, but it was not really adopted as an identifier so much as like a, a descriptor, as far as I can tell. Uh, so we have like a name for it, but no real community. Um, so yeah, we have like a lot, a lot of aromantic culture and community growing very, very quickly out of ace community within the past 20 years. So. Most of this that we've seen happening was also happening at the rise of exclusionism, which I believe might be a thing that you're also going to talk about, um, because those heavily affected the Aero and Ace communities, and a lot of what we consider to be Aero and Ace culture has now vanished. Um, and now we, we like really have been struggling to claim that back. All the jokes about cake and plants and all the discussions on rings and uh like using like card suits instead of hearts to signify love to each other because apparently some people really like homestuck um is just... wait that was a homestuck thing i believe it was a homestuck thing um, oh my god like it's i it's... i had nothing to do with homestuck so i did not know that I also had nothing to do with Homestuck. This is coming secondhand from an ex of mine, an AOA's ex of mine, who is really, 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 really into um, the uh, the definitions of relationships within Homestuck. And also, I believe, mentioned casually, like very offhandedly, that like, oh yeah, that might have been a Homestuck thing. Um, so, uh, like, there is that. Um, but But we just see, like, the dramatic loss of that. Mm. And we have, like, some openly Aero people now. I don't know if they're all Aero Ace or just Aero or some combination thereof. Like, Cave Town is Aero. Uh, we have Michaela Cole, who starred in uh, Chewing Gum, which was a show on E4, which I don't know if it made it to America, um, but it was a show in the UK, uh, who is Aero. We have, like, a couple other, like, a lot of different people. Uh, Jaden from Jaden Animations, who is a kind of popular American... Yes, YouTube I animator. remember that. Uh, Jaden is aromantic as well. We see, like, a fair few, actually. Um, but, like, it, the aromantic community and its construction and then trying to find its place, while at the same time there was so much 
vitriol and hatred towards Aero and Ace people has meant that like it's a very very slow crawl back to where we used to be in our infancy and now we're just kind of like still in that weird in-between space of like I didn't know I was Aero until I was 20 or 21 because I didn't know that you could be Aero without being Ace because people didn't talk about aromanticism and asexuality after the rise of exclusionism again, um, that it just like blocked that entirely. The aromantic community got smothered so quickly because there weren't that many of us to begin with, separate from the ace community, that now we're still trying to like figure out our place within all of that, um, which is kind of a a tragic thing to have a community so young be like suddenly very aggressively like stamped down on um so yeah that's kind of like my brief overview of the origins of the term like aromantic and the development of our flag and the development of our community and symbols there that we find um but yeah well i really appreciate it because i know a lot about obscure ace history and not a lot about anything else <laughs> yeah so it's nice to hear all the stuff about era history as well and how they link and how in the ways in which they don't as well because like you're right i think a lot of people sort of automatically lump them in together and they're not really yeah. the same thing like there are similarities but yeah like you and i have more in common than like <laughs> an aloe person would with either of us necessarily yeah it's the way that i don't know if you're also aero but like the way that like we view sex and relationships because like we are so agonizingly aware of a matter normative actually i'm just going to make this brief definition of a matter normativity <laughs> because i've mentioned it a couple times and people might might not know what i mean um let me actually grab um so we have uh elizabeth brake is the one who termed like who coined the term it of this um um and it's like it's the it describes the pressure um to form a monogamous heterosexual most commonly um but like you know we can see that otherwise but generally it's a very heavily monogamous heterosexual romantic sexual relationship that is lifelong yeah like those are all things that like combine together that make any other form of relationship abhorrent or freakish or unnatural or like a sign that something is wrong with you for a romantic people it might be like oh you are just a shit person who bounces from person to person like looking for sex you have commitment issues whereas like for asexuals like it might be you're frigid there's something wrong with you you just have like fucked up hormones or something like that i'm really yeah. sorry i'm swearing so much this episode i'm putting so <laughs> no, much it's work fine. You. um <laughs> but like um like all of that together is what culminates in the term a matter normativity and it is something that affects everyone it is something that you might not even notice but affects you if you think about the fact that you can only buy things like a meal for two at the at like um i don't know if you're doing like a, a ready meal or something generally it will have at least the serving size will be at least two yes. uh two people you'll see it for things like um like 
that if one ticket is cheaper if you book two at the same time with the assumption that you're going with a partner um and also in in the uk council tax is calculated on the basis that there will definitely be two people living in the house yes and uh, if you are a single person you get a 25 percent reduction um which so you know getting married for the tax benefits is a legitimate thing that you are encouraged to do oh very much (laughs) because you don't have to pay as much in council tax or like you have to pay the same in income tax because that's based on your personal wages but things like mortgages and stuff you're more likely to get a mortgage if you buy a house if you're in a relationship with someone even if you're not married um yeah you're like there's all these different ways that a matter normativity impacts you and you don't even notice it until you're not in a relationship with someone yeah I think. I like, like a lot of people don't think about it at all and then we're just out here like hi yeah. <laughs> we can't afford to live on our own <laughs> everything is so much more expensive when you're on your own yeah but if you're in a polyamorous relationship and you break that norm of monogamy, suddenly you are deemed too. as like, this is like immediately frowned upon because like, okay, you have four people in your relationship. Everything is built yeah. for two people. Um, you have three, however many people are in your polycule, it will still be built. Uh, the world is still built for couples, monogamous couples. Um, and a matter normativity is a thing that like just affects everyone. And you might not notice it until someone tells you about it one day and then you start to see it everywhere. And it also comes along with the assumption that if you're single, then you're sad and lonely. Yeah. And you're desperately searching for a relationship, which makes no sense to me. I don't understand why someone would leave a relationship and then immediately want another relationship. Like, are you guys, are you guys okay? Like, uh, it doesn't make sense. Um, It's insecurity normally. and it stems from a matter normativity it's feeling like you're inferior or worthless if you can't find a relationship and it's like no actually you're fine like this one was (laughs) modeled after heteronormativity but it also doesn't include like heteronormativity within it in the way that people discuss it in the way that like people are like yeah generally the like the desire is that you have a heterosexual relationship um and you can break that and some people will be okay with that but others won't like heterosexuality is deemed the norm like heteronormativity and amatonormativity are kind of inseparable in our current culture yeah um so like the amatonormativity that like ace and aero people face groups us together very heavily as well as groups us together with polyamorous people and kinky people and people who aren't straight in any way. We are joined together with them because we are constantly pressured by a matter normativity to perform this heterosexual, monogamous, romantic sexual relationship that is lifelong. And the sex cannot be kinky, by the way. Generally, like, it's deemed to be, like, (laughs) if you're kinky, then you're not doing sex right. Um, yeah, is like generally the amatonormative outlook on that, like because it is doing sex wrong, um, and that is also the way that like a lot of ace people have like more in common with them because they are doing sex wrong, uh, and why there are a lot of kinky ace people out there because they're doing sex wrong, um, that like you will find a lot of overlap between ace, aero, kinky, and polyamorous communities, 
and queer communities as well because yeah. of this like the broader queer community the kink community and the polyamorous community have always had its place with them because of the way that we are all affected by a matter-normativity which includes heteronormativity and the ideas of what is and is not acceptable sex. I want to try and get us back to something positive because that is quite a, <laughs> uh, a heavy thing to end an episode True. on. Um, um, we're not going to continue talking too much about sad do things. Want, do you want um, to talk about our favourite symbols and like memes and stuff from the asexual community? Oh I have a folder on my laptop full of ace memes now. <laughs> So many ace memes are just like god tier as well. Like they're really funny. Yes. Oh, I, I remember so my favorite. I remember my favorite, which I like always quite naturally read in my naturally pretty heavy West Country accent is asexual pirates do not want the booty. Um <laughs> which always brings me like such great joy. Yes. There's something about that meme that really gets me. I I am partial to the dragons. Thing. Oh, the dragons. Oh yeah. just because I am very much a dragon person i i love dragons um but also um you know you know that um i've got an ace up my sleeve it's me i'm the ace i'm up my sleeves thing yep that's quite an old one <laughs> it is <but laughs> i've got I know that one on a t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> so um, so you know <laughs> I, I miss all the cake jokes i really yes, do there's so many jokes that... about cake that started with Avon. I had to go and find the um I had to go find the origin of that. Um that's that yeah. started on Avon. So did the dragons thing and then they all migrated to Tumblr and I, I love that so much. Yeah, same. Um, but more recently the the Denmark thing. Which Denmark? <laughs> um it was a thing on Reddit. I found out about it via OSP Red. Um, mm -hmm. but basically some people, the ace people on Reddit, someone did the maths and figured out that even if you assume that Bogert's figure that he came up with in 2004, and for some reason has been considered the correct number ever since, that 1% mm. of the British population are asexual. If you took that as fact for the whole globe, there are more asexual people across the world than there are people in Denmark. Oh yeah. <laughs> so the ace people should just get together and invade Denmark and make an ace republic. <laughs> Wait, yes, I do remember that one because I fucking love that one. It's I am so, so funny. here for like my ace brethren just invading an entire fucking country. It got a bit out of hand in that people were making like flags for the ace republic of Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> and there were like Danish aces in the thread that were just like I'm ace, but I'm also Danish. What side should I be on? And they're like, our side, you're the spy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on Reddit. If, any, if anyone tries to find me on Reddit, you won't. I'm not there. But I did have to go and find that one for my dissertation. And I do love yeah, it no, because really... it got so out of hand. <laughs> my favorite thing about ace and aero communities is just how heavily we all yes and each other. Yes. Like, yeah, 100%. <laughs> committed to the bit we will it's genuinely one of the most delightful things i love it i love i love ace memes in general they're just Me they're too. beautiful i love ace people so much and just like the fact that like i learned i was aero through ace people who were just like oh yeah you don't have to be ace to be aero uh, and then also like 
the amount of ace people that I know who are so strongly sex positive, even if they are like sex repulsed, are very like incredibly sex positive and are so enthusiastic about other people doing what works for them. And the fact that like so many of good discussions about consent and consent models, such as the want to, willing, won't model, comes yeah. from ace and ace kinky communities that genuinely work wonderfully. Um, and all of that stuff is truly fantastic. And I fucking love the amount of stuff that ace people have done for like understandings of sex and sexuality and all of that stuff. It's truly fantastic. Yeah. And like, just in terms of like making friends and having that community, like I've made so many friends and so many connections across the world through mm -hmm. The ace community so shout out to my lovely people on my very own ace discord server who we met through tumblr group chats glorious six months when we had tumblr group chats um so that was where that came from i love you guys through the ace community not just on tumblr but like through friends of friends and all of that i have somehow managed to find my way into the organizing team for the uk ace conference last year <laughs> um that was very cool um so if you ever find avon's live stream youtube channel um and you scroll all the way back to uk acecon 2022 I was in several of those panels um, talking about um, the ACE history and the ACE stuff I was researching in the ACE research in the humanities panel. Um, and I also got to host a Q&A with Yasmin Benoit and Sarah Cosgrove, who are both such cool people. I love them. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so like I've had these fantastic opportunities to meet people and get involved with things from being part of the ACE community. I love the ACE community so much for all the reasons that you said, and also because I have so many friends. Yeah, <laughs> I love that's them cool. all. Um, if there is like a one thing that I hope like any ACE and Aero people take away from this, or there's a couple things really, but the first is that, hey, we have always been here. There have always been people like you. And no matter how weird and out of place you might feel, there are still people like you everywhere and they might not even know it and they may feel just as out of place and awkward as you but we are still here and secondly start wearing black and white rings again yes just start wearing i mean i don't i don't have an ace ring because i don't like wearing rings yeah. generally but also like they should definitely make a comeback They're yeah great. so like the the ring thing uh is if your ace uh a, a black ring on your uh right middle finger and if your arrow is a white ring on your left middle finger. Yeah. So like that's a thing that I definitely recommend that people do is just like have fun with the rings again, guys. And like, I guess one of the things that I found quite a lot when I was first sort of venturing into not the ace community, but like the wider queer community is that mm -hmm. even now there is quite a lot of backlash and don't let them do that. No. <laughs> you do belong there um and not have... as many people as it seems do think that it's a tiny but very vocal minority so don't let them stamp on top of you like 
be assertive about it and just like don't let them walk all over you and say that you don't belong because you do we have always been here we have always been part of the queer community and hopefully now you've had this whole long rant about the like ace history <laughs> now you know that you know we were mentioned in the same pamphlets as gay and lesbian people in the 1890s so <laughs> we had like entire societies dedicated to like the inclusion of aero and ace people in the 1600s yeah We've also, if like here. you consider yourself like bisexual because uh, you feel equal attraction to men and women, if that number is zero, um, you're ace. <laughs> you're, you're probably ace. I mean, you can still like call yourself bi if you'd like to. Like, yeah. you can be functionally bi, but like if you're like, wow, I feel the exact same attraction to men and women, and that number is not a lot, then like you can just you can just say that you're ace. Yeah, we don't mind, and even if you then realize that you're wrong. And you're not, in fact, ace. You are bi or gay or any other form of queer. That's fine. Mm -hmm. You don't have to use a label forever. You can you can use it for a little while and then decide it doesn't fit anymore. Like, yeah, I'm sure. Like, we broken. both went through that in the opposite direction. <laughs> oh my god, we really did. Like, it's your journey. Whatever you feel fits at the time, you can identify as that and you can be vocal about that and then change your mind. And that's okay. The only people who are going to judge that you for that are people it's not really worth associating with. Yeah. So, yeah. I love how this has just turned into an advice column for baby queers. <laughs> but this is the spirit of Pride Month, isn't it? We can, we can give advice to people about being yeah. a scenario. Yeah, so I guess we should wrap up now. And oh god, I have to do it, don't I? Yeah. I didn't think about this. Um, thank you for listening to our episode about Ace and Arrow history and the Ace and Arrow community and all of that kind of stuff. Um, happy Pride Month <laughs> to everyone listening. We hope you have a great rest of the month and enjoy being unapologetically yourself um and yeah i think that's everything we have to say so i guess it's time to say goodbye yeah all right unless you have um, anything to add as a last no thing. uh i was just suddenly thinking have you talked about where you can find us yet no but i think at this point they probably know <laughs> true uh... you can find us on tumblr at hey i like you can also now find us on youtube at hey i like that's a relatively new thing that's very exciting you can find us on all of the usual podcast platforms that you've been using to find us mm -hmm. um you can find me personally at storm leviosa on tumblr which all one word all lowercase JJ, I don't know if you want anyone to be uh, pointed no, your way. No, don't find me. Don't find me. <laughs> we try to keep everything consistent, so Tumblr and YouTube are both Hey I Like. Um, you know where to find us on the podcast platforms. And you can email us at heyilikepod at gmail.com because heyilike at gmail.com was already taken. Um, but yes, a Patreon will be coming soonish. <laughs> it is in the works and as part of that 
if you are a paid up patron, you will get access to our handy dandy Discord server, which I spent way too much time when I should have been working yesterday trying to sort out. Um, so that is another way that you will shortly be able to get in contact with us. We will all be there. So if you have a question about an episode that's already been released or a question about what episodes are upcoming, you can ask us there when that is a thing that you can do. Otherwise, yeah, Tumblr, YouTube comments, that's probably your best bet. I don't check the email very often. <laughs> so, yeah, that's where you can find us. Those are our updates. So now it is definitely goodbye. Yep. All right. Uh, goodbye and thanks for listening. Yep. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. If you've made it all the way to the end, congrats, you are officially much stronger than half of our friends. If you are enjoying listening to this podcast, please subscribe to get notified when we update, or follow us on Tumblr at HeyIlike, all lowercase. That's all for now, see you next time on Hey, I Like.